There are always new places to discover new things that you wouldn't have been able to recognize if you didn't stop or be forced to change direction. And ultimately, the way we mentally decide to handle problems in our lives will ultimately play out into how we'll deal with setbacks and traffic. So there's this, and it's, an, it's not a, like a plus minus, you know, it's like there's, there's frequencies and there's distortion and there's, but the ultimate thing is we're all, you know, um, the most important thing is we're rediscovering how valuable it is to be healthy. Kia ora koutou. that was Barefoot Ted McDonald. I'm Matt Raymond. And I'm Eugene Bingham. This is Dirt Church Radio, interesting conversations with interesting runners. Do you know what I love? What's this that? challenging time. I love community. Yeah. And I love togetherness, and I love being part of Wild Things. Mm. Which is a stretch, it's not a stretch for me, but I, I did take the sort of Groucho Marx approach to life of any club that would have me as a member I would want to join, uh-huh. you know, uh, but I'm damn glad I did. Uh-huh. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Being socially distanced at the moment as we are, um, we can still be part of a community and uh, you can go through the peak directory, for instance. You've got so much you Tell me do. about the peak directory. I mean, I, I rattled through some... Uh, called uh, Tamaki Makoto last week mm. that I'm sure people have looked at but shied away from because of their difficulty. But are there other mountains? There are other mountains. There are other mountains. Like I said, you can go to Rangitoto in Auckland, Tamaki Makoto, um, and others. But look, it's it's a, just a great place to um, go and figure out peaks that you want to bag, really. Um, but look, being a Wild Things VIP member, gets you access to all sorts of things and things like you can go shop who doesn't like going shopping during lockdown and this time i'm sure the online sales are going through the roof uh they've got a great i mean t8 sherpa shorts yeah come on yeah uh both the men's and the women's styles um eugene wears a men's style and i being broader of beam wear a woman's style which suits my shortness leg yeah I prefer the cut, yeah, uh, and just as fantastic. But yeah, TH ship shorts, the commando underwear—that's just a couple of things mm. that they've got on. Nutritional uh, needs, nutritional needs, recovery yep. needs, all sorts but of stuff. Bags, poles, hats, everything. Yeah. Um, so while you're sitting there in your house because you can't leave, yeah. looking at mountains that you can't run up, buy stuff that you can use eventually. Yeah. At wildthings.club, and if you use the code DCR2021, mm. that's DCR2021, you get 15 months. For the price of twelve, Mel and Sal give us a little scratch behind the ears, and everyone's happy. Everyone's happy. Other people who are happy have ultraspire packs. Man, my wife is rocking the ultraspire Astro, and it is absolutely fantastic. It's a it's a it's a pack cut specifically for women, and she loves it. It's it's amazing, comfortable, uh, rides well, looks great. Uh, it looks mint chocolate chip is the color. It's like a black oh. pack with a mint, like looks like a mint chocolate chip ice cream trim. Yeah, just fantastic. Uh, all the pockets that you could light, strong, amazing. Uh, so many good packs, uh, Ultra Spire, and you know they've just been. We love our Zygos, been, don't we? 
What are we up to now? Four? We're up to the four. We're eagerly awaiting the five. Mm. I've heard good things. I, I, I understand that there might be a sneaky one or two in uh, testing around the country, Oof. but we're eagerly awaiting the five. But the four, I mean, I used mine yesterday. Just such a good pack. Yeah. Like, just put it on. It's comfy. It's there. It holds all the stuff you need. Yeah. Fantastic. So if you go to ultraspire.co.nz and check out all the amazing things there that they've got for you. Radio. Episode 158. Bedroom edition. Yeah, we made it. Separate bedroom edition. Yes, yes. Volume 3 million. Oh, my God. <laughs> Was this season what, three or four of the bedroom edition? Yeah, no, this is the post credit scene for 2021, which... Yeah, 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 the sequel. But, I mean, huge week and weekend, um, even though it's been... So small for many of us confined to barracks, but it just feels Absolutely. like a lot's been going on. A lot you know? has been going on. There's this, well, I don't need to tell you, there's this, this is virus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, not yeah. to be flippant. I mean, honestly, but, but yeah, we're in level four lockdown. It's Still. our second, second week. We did a bunch of uh, Dirt Church Radio's last year, which mm. was approximately 400 Earth years ago, mm. uh, out of lockdown. And, but, Gosh, damn, this week we have possibly, oh. if you think about the conversation you want, but the conversation you need, like mm. I dare anyone mm. to not be uplifted. Yeah. And wasn't it, so we by, got up, I mean, to pull the curtain back a little bit, we got up early on Saturday morning so we could connect with Barefoot Ted McDonald on California time on Friday. Absolutely. His time. He was shirtless. Oh, he, it was so great, eh? Fish so islands cool. on the Zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sitting yeah. in like this house. Like he had a shrine and, yep. man, it just- I was just disappointed it, that I wasn't recording from the minute he got on the call. Because what did he come yeah. in strong saying? Barefoot turn in the house. Barefoot in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Which, it was incredible. You know, I mean, yeah. you, wouldn't have put, you wouldn't have put down- You, you could have put down money on something. He was going to do something like that. But anyway- uh, call it a fail, but you know, I mean, what a legend! Um, what a legend, and I mean, a character and, as well, yeah, a, a character, and more than yes, you know. And and so, full disclosure, this isn't the first conversation I've had with uh, Barefoot Ted. And in mm. fact, when I sat down, I sat down with James Kugler and 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 Ted, he came to Runfest in Wellington in, yeah. in 2017. And then I had the opportunity to sit down with him. And we're at Little Bird Unbakery in Ponsonby. Mm-hmm. And we sat down for a good couple of hours and I wrote a feature for Kiwi Trail Runner. Mm. We uh, should put a link. If you've got, have you got that in a, online? I've no. got that. Yeah, it was one of the... Uh, yeah. uh, actually, yeah, there's yeah. a link. to we, we should put the link in because mm. there's a link on James's website. Oh, ah, yeah. Cool. And he just, you know, I remember transcribing it, listening to it, and I'd ask him like a five-word question and I'd get like a 1,200-word answer. Yeah. And I was like, man, this if, if people could hear the transcription, yeah, they could hear the audio, it would be so much better. But yeah, yeah. what yeah. a – so – I mean, and, and this time we're bringing the audio. So, yeah. you know, uh, he's – you probably first heard of him through Born to Run, which is Christopher McDougall's smash hit book. Um, but he's much, much more than that, isn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and this is the thing, and I've, uh, he kind of, he comes across, or certainly in the book, he's portrayed as, he's almost like the quintessential, and I use the term, sort of ugly American, right? Mm. That's how he's portrayed. And then there's this real emotional hook when he, um, 
engages with Manuel Luna, whose son is, is yeah. you know, spoiler alert, everyone's read the book, who's been murdered by these cartel guys. Mm. And they sit down and they, you know, they make these sandals together. And that's been mm. a relationship which has been, you know, serving him for the last sort of 15 years. Yeah. yeah. So we talk all about that. We talk about, of course, we talk a bit about barefoot running, but we also talk about breathing, um, yeah. post-pandemic life. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cool thing. So, I mean, you know, look, you know, last week we caught up with Scotty Hawker. Um, oh what a conversation. What, what a, a weekend he has. I will just yep. say the golden touch of Dirt Church Radio strikes again. Well, I mean, it might three be Kiwis, ice... Three Kiwis racing at well, UTMB week races in elite fields, all three being on DCR, three top results. I'm just, just going to say One of them had – I'm only asking them... questions. I'm only asking yeah, questions. Do... Are you doing your own research? I mean, A, it's a bit sunburn ice cream. Yeah, B, sure. one of them had their, they'd spelt New Zealand wrong on their bib. Yeah, I'll, I'll give know. her that. Sophie Grant, you know, she's been in the UK for quite a while, but we will, we'll claim her. We also we'll claim, claim Katie Wright as well. But anyway. That's right. Well, true. Uh, so, Caitlin Fielder and and Scotty Hawker. And and we'll have a full race breakdown. Oh, oh by the way, uh, Courtney, Courtney Dewalter as well, of course. The only oh reason she won yeah. is because being on DCR, just saying. It's, anyway, absolutely. we'll have a full um, race breakdown later in the show, but, um, you know, how special, especially for your coach, Scotty, after hearing what he's been through in the past year and, and such a timely chat with him. And look, after the race, you dropped him a line. Yeah, I dropped him a line and I was like, could you just even for a minute or two just tell us, you know, how that was for you. And and initially he was like, oh, I'm, you know, my flatmate's asleep and I'm tired. And I was like, okay, dude, don't worry about it. But then he, uh, a couple of minutes later, this showed up. So roll the, roll the tape. Kia ora to all the whanau in New Zealand. Um, yeah, yeah, can't even begin to, yeah, sort of um, explain how amazing that was just today. Um, yeah, the whole day was just, uh, yeah, an amazing experience and, um, yeah, so many emotions throughout the whole race with, um, yeah, just, just how everything's been the last, yeah, sort of 12 to 18 months. Um, and, um, yeah, I was definitely thinking of everyone back home, um, during the race and, uh, yeah, just obviously with New Zealand being in lockdown and, um, yeah, I don't know, I just sort of felt like I was, um, yeah, would, was going to be really special if I could, um, you know, have a good performance, obviously for myself, but also, you know, for New Zealand. And, um, yeah, definitely pushed me on and, um, you know, gave me a bit more motivation and, and energy during the race, which is really cool. Um, and, yeah, it's just amazing to return back to back to Chamonix, back to, you know, the UTMB Festival. And, um, yeah, to get on the podium again at a UTMB race is just, um, yeah, it's just a dream come true. And, uh, yeah, couldn't be happier. So, Really, really happy, and um, yeah, it's definitely um, capped off a yeah crazy eighteen months. But um, yeah, it's nice to feel like I'm finally back. Wow, thanks, Scotty, and um, yeah, yeah, epic, epic, epic race. And we'll yes, and I said later in the show we'll have a have a big rundown on how it all went. But it's, it's fair it's fair to say people went ape shit, really, mm, didn't they? Like mm, it was. Mm. Yeah. And I, you don't want to put that pressure on, and, and like Caitlin as well, right? Like you yeah. don't want to put that pressure on an athlete because at the at the end of the day, they're, they're towing the tape, you know, they're, they're racing against the people left and right. But yeah. it did feel like everyone was just like, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Like, yeah. So Especially given, see. you know, what Caitlin and Scotty have been through um, injury-wise and yeah. and, the, and the time they've had um, to see them both 
hit the podium and the way that they did was just superb. Anyway, we'll, come to, the, we'll come to more of that and Barefoot Ted later. But um, Ketipi here, Kwe, how have you been, man? Look, it, how are you now? Sorry. I'm okay. Do you know, like, it, it sounds somewhat, I'm fully aware of my privilege, right? And I'm fully aware that last week was absolutely one of the more sort of stressful and hellish weeks I've had in, in, in healthcare. And then, you know, I made the, I, I had to make the really difficult decision to, I, I've, I've uh, put my uni studies on hold for the mm-hmm. semester because, you yep. know, like my focus is, is work, yep. family, you know, and that's all, and, and running to help with the work and the family. And that's all I have kind of, that's all I've got. Got the bandwidth. Headspace for. But then mm. having that discussion mm. yesterday, like, as of right now, you know, like recording on a Sunday evening for, you know, pulling back the curtain, I've had the most incredible weekend, man. Mm, <laughs> like, mm. I, it's been so nice. I've done tons of running. I've had a brilliant conversation. You know, I've mm. got to hang out with my family. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I did a bunch of nose breathing. Uh, I've done it before. So I've done a bunch of uh, nose breathing training before, but I, I did... I, I got, I think, one loop of Longbush Road, nose breathing, and I l- nearly passed out at the top. Like it was, <laughs> I was trying to be all calm and controlled with Rebecca, yeah. you know, and then it was like, oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> at yeah, the top. Yeah. So, so, sort of spoiler alert, we talked to Barefoot Ted about about exactly this, and and you disclosed that you'd done some some of it before with James and had a particular technique um, of holding <laughs> yeah. the water in your mouth. Yeah, that's right. Horrible. Don't do yeah. it. Well, I was listening to it going, I mean, how hard can that be? That's pretty easy to do, you know? So straight after um, straight after we finished chatting with Ted and we had a catch-up afterwards, I, I went out the door, went for a run, and I probably got – I thought, you know, I'm going to do this. I'll, I'll do this. I'll just hold my mouth closed and breathe through my nose. I reckon I got 300 metres, and then I was hyperventilating. I was like <gasps> – Yeah, yeah. <gasps> So hard. It's certainly a different. It's it's, yeah. it's a different. It's yeah. a different mechanism of yeah. of action. Yeah. That's for sure. Just breathing I, in and out through your nose. And I mean, how have you, man? How? Yeah, yeah, good. Apart from the nearly fainting on my run. Um, but uh, good. Yeah, I mean, my heart's been with um everyone involved with the COVID emergency that we're facing and dealing with mm. it. And you know, you people on the front line like yourself, Matt. Um. It's an extraordinary situation we find ourselves in, and hopefully we can get out of level four soon, like the rest of Aotearoa. Um, but I don't, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I was going to say I'm not going to hold my breath. Well, that would be a bad. Thing. <laughs> you could breathe through your nose. It'd probably it'd be difficult, but it'd be yeah, doable. It'd be doable rather than yeah, holding your preferable. breath. Um, but I've also had had my heart um, out for people of Afghanistan too, and lots of um, friends and former colleagues and stuff there who who are in a pretty difficult position. Um, so yeah, and let's be clear on this. I mean, this is, and not to sort of delve too deeply or or get to amongst it, but this isn't you from a sort of a position of of being a helicopter concerned journalist. I mean, these are people who you you've been to Afghanistan multiple times. You've worked with these people. Yeah. You've seen what they do, the risks, and yep. and, and everything yep. like that. It, mm. it must be, and and anyone who's ever had anything to do. With anyone from Afghanistan knows that they are polite, generous to a fault. Yeah, well, I mean that was one of the you know one of the um, 
clues to us early on that situation was very serious if that wasn't obvious before when when one of them put out his hand for help and it's yeah, like right. whoa knowing him that is that is not in his personality at all yeah. um you know and we've tried to move heaven and earth to to help him in the little ways that we can uh, but anyway yeah that's so um there's that there's mm. that but uh yeah running just carrying along i did my tracks loops around the 200 meter track this morning four how, hours how far today. did you four hours around yeah. the 200 meter track yeah. Amazing. yeah yeah so that's that's um a thing um yeah yeah but it's i quite enjoy it's actually really good it's almost meditative to be force yourself to stay in the moment yeah um because you you do you just ha- you can't think of oh no i've got you know Three hours, 59 minutes left after a minute, you know. <laughs> um, you just have to stay in the moment. And, yeah, yeah it's, it's, I'm enjoying it, actually. I'm enjoying it. Mm. I, I, look, I mean, I've, I, I've been doing loops as well. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one loop, but it's a five-kilometer loop. But still, still. It's, and it's that thing. It is. It's, it's meditative. And yep. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Right, should we play uh, this jingle? Right, stuff you should know. What has been? There's been a lot. There's not been much <sighs> Bunch to catch up on. Going yeah. on in Aotearoa on the racing scene, obviously, mm. but there's mm. lots to catch up on. Yeah. Look, first up, you know, Arahan Nui. Yeah. A huge shout out to the team from Total Sport who had to deal with. I mean, imagine. Oh. I can't. Im- well, I mean, even professionally, like we've, you, you know, you think about how many, how many nurses. I've had down this week because, you know, yep. the phone goes or the, the close contact or yep. household contact yep. or, or whatever, you know, running, we, we were geeking out the other week about um, Tōtara Park and how many yeah. people showed up. We were like, there's a thousand people there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then they find out damn. that it's, yeah. you know, and that was the weekend before lockdown. They find out it was a place of interest for a COVID case. So, you know, they, I mean, you know, I guess first and foremost, their hearts go out to whoever it was who the athlete who tested positive. You know, hundred percent. I hope you're doing okay. Um, a massive what a nightmare. Yeah. Um, but also total respect to the to the total sport team who, from all accounts, really stepped up to the plate. I mean, again, I talked about it last week. I, <laughs> I did contact tracing once yeah. for about an hour, yeah. and I was like, done. You know, I. Reaching out to everyone, it was a massive field that day, mm. and they ensured you know their comms was really crisp. They ensured yep. everyone knew what happened mm. and what they had to do. Yeah, oh, yeah. My and, and thanks and, to and, everyone who who got the notifications and did the right thing and got tested and stayed at home and stuff. You know, we hope everyone's okay and um, yeah, you know that you can get out and about as much as we can um, soon. Yeah, and this next piece of news, mm. I mean, this is this is huge. Huge. So we got the email in Wild Things. And I was kind of like, oh, I wonder what's happening. And I sort of yeah. thought I'll read that tomorrow, you know, because I was busy. And then when I read it, I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my me. goodness. So, yeah. yeah it's like something Sally changed Law. in the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Have stepped down from the, I mean, the massive endeavor that they've created all those years mm. ago. And they've handed over the reins to Rob Bathgate. It's mm. a massive call. Yeah. But we thought, you know, like we'd go to the the font of the waters and, um, hear from Mel himself and, and, and what he had to say. 
Mm, mm. So he said the simple fact is that we're both getting on a bit. I'm 61. This is Mal talking. Uh, and Sal is only a few years behind me. We know we only have a finite number of years left in which to undertake the many outdoor adventures that we still dream about. Yet at the same time, I find myself spending more and more hours in front of a screen while Sal spends more and more time running the Wild Things shop. We want Wild Things to be a continuously to be continuously developing, always offering new and exciting things to its members. But to maintain such forward momentum would mean giving ever-increasing amounts of time and energy that we'd now like to put into other more personal projects while we still can. Mm. We love that we've created what we've created, but now it's time for Wild Things to move on to its new exciting phase under new guardianship. Which, you know, hats off to them um, for making that call. It must have been a really hard call because we know how much they love the whole Wild Things community and, and what they've created. Absolutely. And we know too. Yeah, sorry. Well, no, it's it, it's it's the thing. I mean, we also know yep. how much Malcolm Law has put into this and what a double-edged sword it's been. Yeah. You know, he he's made no sort of... He's made no bones about the fact. Yeah. So ha- yeah. having, you know, making that decision, it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, from our personal dealings with them and, and through DCR as well, it, we, we've we seen the toll that it's taken sometimes. And, and um, yeah, I mean, good on them. Good on them. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, mm. Yeah. Congratulations, Kodua. So, I mean, and, and Rob taking over, it's not like he's, yes. he's new to Wild Things. So Mel described him as the unsung hero of Wild Things since the start, having built the website and been part of Wild Things and helping um, the pair out for the past eight years. So like all the best, Rob. I mean, we're going to continue to mm. look forward. Well, we're going to look forward to continuing to deal with you. Still use your and, code. Uh, yeah. DCR still use your code. DCR. Use it. Use it. And, uh, mm. Get forward, yeah. uh, look forward to getting to know you a bit better. Mm. Look, yeah, this happened. Oh, this next hot piece off, of news. Hot off the press. Yeah. I'm going to let mean, you handle this because. Oh, I just was blown is, away. You know, my phone's been going all afternoon. Um, you know, holy heck, a great weekend of racing. The fresh button took a pounding um, covering or having a look at, sorry, not covering, um, following UTMB. But. This afternoon, Sunday afternoon, uh, one of the most iconic world records of all time got smashed. Um, Giannis Kouros, the Greek-Australian ultra-freak, really, is the only way to describe him. He was the only person to have run over 290 kilometres in 24 hours, and he's done it four times. So, to, you know, and he ran an astonishing 303.3 kilometres in 1997, the only person to go over 300 kilometres, obviously. It was considered a record for the ages and that it would stand forever. And Kouros himself said he, I think he said he, he hoped it would stand for a century. And everyone was kind of like, yeah, obviously, no one's going to get close to that. Well, on Sunday, Alexander Sorokin of Lithuania ran 308.866 kilometres in 24 hours. That's running at 440 minutes a kilometre <laughs> um, to for 24 hours. So he added five kilometres to Kouros's record. Uh, Andre... Touch a cook, touch a cook. Sorry yeah. about that, butchering that. He ran 296.787 um, to join Koros and Sorokin in the 290k plus club. You know, Sorokin is a, um, he's the world uh, 24 hour champ from 2019. Um, he's been there, done that. He, held, he holds the 100 mile world best with 11 hours, 14 minutes and 56 seconds. Think about that for a minute. Um, and in that same run, he carried on to hit the 12-hour mark of 170.309 kilometres. This is just mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. You know, I was talking to our friend Sean Cooper, who's, you know, been soaked in um, 
ultra running for years and actually with our friend Gary Crude, Giannis, when he came out to yep. New Zealand. Um, and Sean I pointed out. I still remember the banana. I still remember the yeah, banana anecdote. The quarter size. You know, no, third. A, a third. Third. A third of it, and 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 Giannis Ooh. didn't mess around. He no wanted way. a third of a yeah. banana, not a quarter of a banana, not a half exactly. banana, not a half banana. Like a third of a banana. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he, I mean, and um, Sean's a great mathematician as well, and so he was doing all sorts of maths on it. And he pointed out that apart from a two-minute break after 115 of, of his 179 laps, Sorokin ran with metronome-like consistency for 24 hours. Unbelievable. <sighs> It's unbelievable. Four forty k. Yeah. Four forty a k for twenty four hours. Yeah. Yeah. Three hundred some odd kilometers. My <sighs> goodness me. Three hundred eight point eight six six kilometers. Astonishing. Yeah. We are so, astonishing critters, aren't we? We really are. We really are. You know, it's like you think of limits and then poof, gone. Right. Okay. <laughs> Just quickly, I wonder though, Yes. and I know this is sort of bleeding over from stuff you should know into race results, and mm. we'll get there in a second. Mm. Bannister yes. ran the, broke the four-minute mile. Yep. You know, and there are all those people going like, man, this will never, never happen. happen. Yep. Bannister smashed it, and then yep. within, was it a year or months, oh, no, even no, no, people no. were just like yeah. knocking, banging boom, boom, out. Boom, I'm, boom, boom. Yeah. I'm excited to see people mm. getting after it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, and, you know, like, I mean, You've got people, even like Camille Heron, had, had, yeah. she's made no secret of the fact, I'm going after that record. And so, um, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see what, what she does, for instance. And just like you say, yeah, absolutely. You you have that mentality of, oh, it's breakable. Yeah, okay, cool. Let's go. Do it. Anyway, speaking, speaking of records of being it, broken <sighs> and doing it, yes, UTMB yeah. was this week in Chamonix. And I, I, I'm unapologetic. I, I've been sleeping like it. I've been sleeping a lot. Mm. I come home. <laughs> I'm in bed most nights by like nine mm. o'clock now, which mm. is unheard of. Uh, I slept through the whole thing. However, mm. uh, this was the fittest place on the planet, Chamonix. Can you this imagine? This is, you're going to the bakery and you're getting hit by people's poles. You're looking at calf sleeves in the bakery. You're going to get your pano chocolate <laughs> and there's just a dude with perfectly squared yep. logos. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, White lycra. Yeah. Mm. On point. Mm. But look, mm. I mean, we were interested from the get-go in Sophie Grant lining up the TDS, which is considered one of the most challenging courses with 9,100 metres of elevation over 145 kilometres or 90 miles in the old money. Mm. And we got to say, and this is, gosh, this is sad, isn't it? The race yeah. was hit by a tragic accident yeah. when a, mm. a check runner, he fell during a technical descent around 60 kilometres into the race and died from the injuries. Mm. So... The part of the course is known as being narrow and technical and it also been raining. Mm. And I mean that essentially, like you said, it it, it, it put a stop to the it, it Yeah. Put a stop to the race at that point, didn't it? So yeah, everyone yeah. who'd gone before yep. carried on racing. Yeah, and so everyone who'd three hundred runners had gone through and I didn't get the numbers on how many hadn't, but it was quite a lot of runners. Um, hadn't gone through. So they were told, Well, stop, turn back and some of them had to go back ten kilometers um to get to get on a bus and get bus to Chamonix instead. So, you know, a tragedy for for Huge. for the family, for the runner, and and for all their friends and and everyone who ran in that race. I mean, people's people. You know, it's devastating that that happened. Um, Absolutely. And, and the whole trail running world's hearts have gone out to the runner and their family. 
Mm. And I mean, among, you know, among the people who made it through yeah. before this person had, you know, a really unfortunate mm. accident was, was Sophie Grant. I mean, mm. Christchurch girl lived in Britain, um, but also living, what's that? Quinn Van Tarantino or something like that. They're, they've got a yeah. special name for their motorhome. I can't yeah. remember what it is. George. You have to go back yeah. and listen to the, yeah. to the episode. Um, but they're motorhoming around. Um, mm. Episode 101, actually, was when mm. we uh, interviewed her. And it was a cracking lesson. But anyway, she came home fifth, 24 mm. hours, 48 minutes, in an exact tie with French runner Marie Dohan and Sophie wrote on Twitter that it was incredible to finish with Marie and the way that they did arms held aloft running together. We could have battled it out to the finish for fifth place, but instead decided to work together through that last section in the true spirit of trial running. It didn't seem right in light of the tragedy to be celebrating, she said. Mm. Yeah, so the race was won by uh, Manon Bohart in 23-11. Um, in the in the means, um, Eric Sebastian Krogvig uh, won in eighteen forty nine. Now he, I uh, hasten to say, um, he didn't know about the tragedy, um, mm. and he he crossed the finish line. Uh, I don't know if you saw in the Olympics a hundred four hundred meter hurdle runner, the Norwegian athlete who who won that in world record time. His extreme reaction after the race of ripping his shirt wide open and charging around the stadium like he'd just, you know, I don't know. Won a world won record. A, yeah, set a world record and, and won a gold medal. Um, apparently, uh, Eric Sebastian's um, celebration was just just as great. Um, he spun his hydration pack around, slammed it to the ground and then turned to the crowd and flexed his arms. I mean, why wouldn't you, you know? Um, but, yeah, he, he, as he said, he didn't... Um, he didn't know about the tragedy and said, sort of implied that he wouldn't have behaved like that if he'd known. But anyway, he was obviously excited to win and he won in, in 23-11, so good on him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's malice of forethought, right? No, it, no, I mean, no. it's part of me, that makes me giggle a little bit. It's like, sure. yeah. <laughs> well done, bro. You took your ultralight balloon of water and banged it on the ground. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> I mean, it's not Pete Townsend smashing his no. Gibson SG to pieces, is it? But no. anyway, you know. He's excited. Like, good, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The next race that we were very closely watching was mm. the OCC. And this is the thing, isn't it? TDS, OCC, UTMB, CCC, mm. who can keep up? But the OCC, 56-kilometer mm. race from Switzerland to France with 3,500 meters of vert. And Caitlin <sighs> Fielder, yeah. who you spoke to in episode 49 and happens 149. Yep. Yeah, 149. Mm. Oh, sorry. Yep. Yep. 149 or 149 happens to be one of the, I mean, she's, she's a weapon and one of the funniest human beings. She is hilarious. I've ever, ever seen. Um, She was running that race and she was in fourth early on and then slipped back to six before she pulled off an incredible finish and stormed home coming in third in six hours and 10 minutes. She closed up five minutes on second plates in the last section. I mean, you think about the t- it's the thing. Eh? You think about the caliper of these athletes, right? Yeah. And 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 also, I mean, what she went through in the mm. last year. Yeah, she had that massive hip surgery, didn't she? After Tarawera, twenty twenty, um, she couldn't even walk for three months last year. Uh, and then she turns up at Tarawera this year. What was it? Six weeks earlier, she couldn't walk. She was yeah, six weeks barely just started running. Yeah. Um, and then. You know, set a, set a record uh, there, but 
yeah, like you say, to turn up to those events in Europe, stacked fields. And you, I mean, imagine the mental tenacity. If you, you slip back to sixth, you must be going, oh, okay, I've, I've blown it. But she doesn't. She yeah. buckles down and she gets the job done. Um, huge, huge result, yeah. Just just massive. And the race mm. was won in record time by Blondine Lerondelle of France in 5.45, which is a five-minute improvement on Ruth Croft's 2019 record. Goodness yeah. me. Yeah. And 22 minutes up on second place. So that that's flying. And the men's race mm. was a shootout also – Ambled about a record. Jonathan Albin of the UK finally shook off Robbie Simpson to claim a win and a course record in 5.02. Yeah. Okay. And to CCC, um, uh, not to be confused with ABC. Uh, so 100 kilometer event, which was, sorry, uh, a real smackdown this year with a stacked field. And we were keenly watching Scotty Hawker, of course, after our chat with him last week. Uh, you know, so he, he started off conservatively as, as he is wont to do, and he was lying in eighth place um, early on, um, slipped back to about 10th, about 30k in before he just slowly started reeling people in. Oh, it's, uh, he'd moved up into top five by 65k, and then he set his sights on the leaders. 10 kilometers later, after a huge climb, he was in third place. And shortly after that, he'd moved into second, which he held on to for the next 20 kilometers. Man, that's mm. that's a long way to run scared, right? Or not run scared, but like know that you've passed someone who's like, all right then. Um, he finished in 10.47. It was an amazing, amazing result considering all that he's been through. Yeah. And I, what I love about Scotty is the fact that he's not, he's neither, he's just so open at the finish line like i mean mm. the year he's had mm. but he always just kind of bursts into tears i really love that you know yeah. <laughs> like it's nothing yeah. and it's not even like it's just this outpouring of emotion yeah. it, was, it was extraordinary and yeah some amazing and, photos of yeah, him um, yeah. um you know those cobble the, well, i don't know if they're cobbled sorry those streets and the buildings and all yeah. the crowds and and there's just scotty kind of in that moment um Kind of together alone, really wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. You, know, you could absolutely. see that he was. You could see that he was surrounded by people who was loving the um, response he was getting. But he was in that moment. He was just. You could see he was taking in what he'd done and what he'd yep. been through. Um, just extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. And mm. uh, Thibaut Gravier of France deserved the win with a remarkable yeah. run of 10, 4, 10 23, which is twenty four minutes ahead of Scotty after leading the race for just after halfway. Yeah. So uh, Marta Moliste Condina, Condina of Spain won the women's in 1250. Uh, we should note that Ruth Croft um, was down to race in CCC, but suffered a stomach bug in the days before and so made the right call um, to withdraw. It's a pity we didn't Absolutely. get to see Ruth there, but, you know, hope you're feeling better. Right. right On to UTMB, the big dance. Mm. 171 yeah. kilometer loop around the Alps and Mont Blanc, zipping through France, Italy, and Switzerland, and near perfect conditions this year. And I mean, who would have thought that it would actually be even happening? It's an amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were past. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were talking to our friend um, Andrew McDowell and uh, friend of the show, and and great help to us. Um, by the way, he's helped us with some sound this week on our, our chat with Barefoot Ted. Thank you, Andrew. Um, Thank I was you, talking to him on Saturday and he was like watching the coverage going, I've been there, I've been there, I've been there. You know, um, that was 2019, you know, two yeah. years ago. Um, there was no race last year. So, you know, whew, um, yeah, but near perfect conditions this year. 
Amazing. And let's yeah. start with Courtney DeWalter. Oh, let's all stand so, up. If you're not sitting, if you're not standing up, stand up. We're both standing up at the moment. We are. Yeah. But we were standing up for Courtney DeWalter. I mean, you hear the you hear the words a lot. Oh, Americans yeah. can't race at UTMB and rah 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 rah. There have been some excellent American sure results scattered yeah. through, you know, the last sort of five, six years. However, mm. Courtney took a second victory and a course record and, you know, basically dominated. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with both races, there was a huge number of drop-offs, which tells a story in itself. You know, this race is tough and, you know, 100 miles takes no prisoners. Beth, uh, Beth Pascal, uh, after that um, Western States victory, Francesca Canepa, you know, previously won TDS and, mm. and is a, a beast in the in the mountains. Um, Hilary Allen, uh, Brittany Peterson, the list went on and on. But, you know, yeah. Courtney took the lead early on and was just, only slightly off the pace of the men's leading pack, uh, leading men's pack, and she pushed her way into the top ten overall and kept on pushing. She moved her way through the field and eventually finishing seventh overall yeah. in a time of twenty two thirty fifty four, the fastest time on the full course, beating the two thousand thirteen time set by Rory Bozio. She's a nurse, by the way, so she'd smash it. Um, which is on a course three kilometers shorter and without one of the major climbs. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, not only was she taking on the extra climb, that extra 3K, but she ran the fastest, yeah. So second was Camille Burias in an hour and a half back from Courtney in a time of 24.09.42. A great run from her, having moved into second in the last quarter of the race. Mimi Kotka was third in 25.08.29. I mean, that's a race of attrition, really, eh? She, she took a fall early on. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you saw the footage of her, but she was just bloodied. Um, talk Oof. about tough. Talk yeah. about tough, you know. Uh, the men's race, well, it was billed as a showdown between Jim Walmsley and, and Francois Dehaene. And early on it looked like it was going to be a really great smackdown. So they, they worked together. They even they even came into uh, one of the aid stations and, and shared pickles at one Aww. stage. Yeah, there you go. Um, but by 100K, Wormsley was out. And it, it's still a little bit unclear as to uh, Sunday night. So a little bit unclear as to what happened. There was talk of him having taken a fall, but it hasn't been confirmed. I mean, you got to wonder if that stunning performance at Western States just a couple of months back. How many weeks ago is it? Like nine weeks back, if that? I mean, um, you think about like the you people wonder if that's that we know. Toll. Yeah. Think about the people that we know who've done 100 miles. Mm. Excellent athletes, you know, and I think about the people that we know who are amazing athletes who have done UTMB. Yeah. And the times that they've run it in. Mm. And they're so much faster and stronger than we are. Mm. And then I think about the effort that Jim Wormsley would have had to put out to get that second, yeah. you know, that, that the victory at Western States. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. Yeah. Like. Yeah, you got to wonder. But he, so he, he ended up um, dropping out. But listen to this list, which could just as easily have been a top five. Absolutely. Uh, Xavier Thevenard, uh, Tim Tollefson, Dmitry Medyev, uh, Tom Owens, and our, and our good mate um, Damien Hall, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, they they all withdrew as well. And, um, you know, again, like the women's race, it just shows you how tough that race is. But it was it really was um, Francois Dehaene's day. Um, you know, he did as he often did, made a break um, to get into the lead, and then he just... He just did what he did to keep that, maintain that lead. Phenomenal grind. Phenomenal. I mean, he came home with his fourth win. His <sighs> fourth win. 20-45-59. I mean, this is after winning Hard Rock as well. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. Second was a breakup performance That's, from- I, or, you've quite, I'd forgotten all about that. You're yeah. quite right. He won Hard Rock. 
And he beat, uh, he beat Killian's record too. Yeah. Jeepers. Yeah. You know, going on about Wormsley's League. Sorry, Francois. Hello. <laughs> wow. Anyway. Yeah. You see on Francois Strava, a good long run before UTMB. Um, <laughs> yeah. Last long training run. <laughs> yeah. Second was a breakup performance from Aurelien Dunard Palace in 2058-31. And third, another outstanding race from Matthew Blanchard in 21-12-43. Yeah, they man, were two real breakouts, weren't they? Yeah. French shut the door on that one. Oh, man, this is our backyard. Boof. Yeah. 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 Look, hey, look yeah, we, we say this often enough, but if you ever want to follow these big races or read coverage, you can't go past I Run Far. And we'll be sure to put a link to the UTMB coverage in our show notes. Um, you know, they're out there doing it in the cold, in the rain, um, in the mountains, uh, you know, with, with the network uh, that they arrange. And, you know, you remember our, our chat with um, Brian Powell a couple of weeks ago um, and with Megan Hicks uh, last year, wasn't it? Yeah, um, it was. Y- you, heard, you heard from their their own, from the horse's mouth how hard it is and yeah, amazing. Anyway, right. Greatest, Greatest run, run ever. ever. Greatest run ever. Greatest run ever, which is the part of the show where we ask you to write in to us and tell us your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit, or that time you won Hard Rock and UTMB within the same quarter of a year. It might but just be around the block. In France, yeah. yeah. In French, even, I'll read it out. Mm. Um, something that's sung to you for some reason, you could send it in to us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. And this is from Daniel Seller, who he said he saw us at Wu2K. He was marshalling. In fact, I think he was one of the marshals who was helping people across. Uh, maybe the second stream before no, the base. Of, no, no, he, he comes to it. He comes to it. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Someone reached out, but he was going to hand us a handwritten greatest run ever, which is a particularly Wellington thing to do. However, it was uh, it was it was too wet. Thank goodness. Thank goodness he Just didn't. Given the conditions, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Holy moly. Right, so he says, I've never been a particularly quick runner, nor run with any particular endurance. Up until I was nearly 30, my longest run was a painful, reluctant 10 kilometers. Running was something I drifted into as a second sport behind cycling after my shoulders decided they'd had enough tennis. I got talked into training for my first marathon by some friends after I beat my target time for Melbourne's 14 kilometers run for the kids. My goal was to beat Beethoven's Ninth Symphony on my iPod. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, which is 70 minutes. Since then, I guess I've thought of myself as a runner. I've had many forgettable runs, but many memorable runs also. Many of these runs are memorable because they open my mind to something new. My first horrible marathon, which showed me how despite hitting the wall hard at 30 kilometers and a diabetes tech failure, I still smashed my blood sugar management. I realized that while diabetes can challenge a runner while running long distances, this doesn't make it a barrier. My f- wow, that's incredible. mm I can barely manage my blood sugar and I have a functioning pancreas. Mm. Um, My first ever trail run, a recovery run with my Melbourne running group, was such a physical revelation compared to my previously exclusive road running experience. My first worm runs after moving to Wellington, exploring Mount Vic on a Tuesday night, my partner Ruby suggested I join up to meet some people and get out of the house. (laughs) There was such an amazing sense of welcome and community, thanks to people like Eva and Brent, Stu Milne, Tom Frentz, Mike Brown, and so many others. My many exploratory runs where I just head down an unkempt old trail to find out what's down it. The answer in Wellington is inevitably Gorse or a Lord (laughs) of the Rings set, I guess. Uh, My pram half marathon, what 
watching the conflict between well done and crap I just got past <laughs> crap I just got passed by a guy pushing a bram on tired people's faces as I pass them. My attempts to heat map Wellington, thanks Strava, leading me to do more and more ridiculously convoluted commutes just to get that one missing street. My silly themed runs, like visiting all of the Wellington cinemas in one run, once pushing a pram, once without or running through all of Wellington's tunnels, or doing a trail half marathon dressed as Snow White, one of three Snow Whites. Uh-huh. I'm not sure what that means. Were there three mm. Snow Whites doing the trail half marathon, or was it yeah, one of three themes? So. Anyway, we could follow that up later. But <laughs> right up to my most recent Wu2K marshalling in the middle of the wet and windy Red Rocks track, getting weird looks from people as I warned them not to step in the big puddle. It was deeper than it looked. These have all been memorable, and many more besides. My greatest run ever combined a few of these elements plus one unique element it was in preparation for the first Wu2K with two running mates Pete and Matt providing the elements of community and banter we met up at Crory Park for coffee and planning we were aiming for a 35 to 40 kilometer run while I was training for the marathon Pete and Matt were both training for the 63k so we chose a section in the middle of the long course combining two of my favorite elements route following and gorse after coffee we headed up to join the end of skyline track from there, we weaved our way through the Makara Mountain Bike Park section of the course, where I learned that even if you think you're going fast, you shouldn't try to run around a berm like you're on a bike. You're not going that fast. <laughs> <laughs> Matt and Pete learned that I'm not very good at physics through Wright's Hill, and then on to the fence line section where Matt and I learned that Peter either really liked going fast up hills or that he just didn't like listening to us talk so much crap. From the turbine, we headed along Barking Emu to the top of the tip track where we finally stopped Wu2Kaying and started their journey back towards the start via Pole Hill. As we neared Pole Hill, Matt learned that paying more attention to your feet and less to the conversation is sometimes wise. We quickly decided there was no shame in bailing out in Aro Valley. We'd done nearly 30 kilometers at this point, so we headed to the nearest cafe for breakfast and a very leisurely breakfast it was too, <coughs> reliving the glory of the last three and a half hours on the Wellington Trails. From there, we wandered into town to catch a bus back to our starting point and collect our cars. It wasn't until we got back to our starting point at Karari Point, point Karari Park, that this run became unique for me. We unanimous, unanimously settled down for a second breakfast. Not a quick <laughs> snack, not a muffin or a scone, a complete second breakfast. While I've had many incredibly memorable runs, it is a guilt-free, judgment-free second breakfast of this run, which makes it my greatest run ever. <sighs> Superb. Very Lord of the Rings, th- very Hobbit themed, very Lord of the Rings. <clears throat> They're all about the second breakfast. Yeah. And um, a bus trip. I mean, it's bus trip, tr- Wellington Trails, two breakfasts, coffee. That's a, that's, that's a, that's, I was going to say the trifecta, but I'm holding up four fingers. That's uh, the Quinella, mate. Oh, great, great Wellington runs. Oh, I remember Daniel. Five. Uh, quad. Anyway, it's the quad. Uh, mm. I remember Daniel because when I was coming up to that, he was warning us about that puddle and he said, don't, you know, be careful. It's deeper than it looks. And I sort of went, ha ha. And he went, no, 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 it really is. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I think I was about to stomp in the middle of it and he was like, no, it really You'll is. Die. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so thank you, Daniel. Uh, thank Man. you for that. And also thank you for an amazing greatest run ever. Love it. Yeah. Please keep sending them in. We, we love yeah. them. We love reading them. I mean, that was, yeah. that is, yeah, fantastic. A journey. I, mm. and, and so like, it's so easy to joke about like Lord of the Rings, which obviously Eugene loves. And never I, seen it. he's never, never seen, seen it or read the books more importantly. The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. The Lord the of the Rings. Of the I Lords remember of the I went Rings? out. 
No, you be quiet. The Lords Lord of, of the, the Rings. Rings. Stop it. Like, I'm going to break lockdown, come around your house and write you an angry letter. Post the new <laughs> letterbox. I remember going out on a run in Wellington and actually thinking, oh, I probably, and I literally banged into one of the dwarves from Lord of the Rings and instead of traffic lights, like I bumped into, like banged into Jed Brophy. Yeah. And he sort of just looked at me and I was like, oh, goodness me. But mm. anyway, enough Lord of the Ringing. Yes. Well, it kind of, if we're thinking about wizards or shamans mm. or, or mystical creatures, Barefoot Ted McDonald. Yep. I mean, for the three or four people who haven't read Christopher McDougall's Born to Run, Barefoot Ted is a central character in that um, he is, uh, what do you say about the man? I mean, he mm. he's a proponent of natural running. He's a mm-hmm. proponent of barefoot running. He's a proponent of play and of breath work and of sunshine and expression and enjoyment and 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 love i guess would be a really apropos thing to say too the first time i ever met ted too which i one of the things i love about him is he talked about going to like black flag and circle jerk shows in mm. 1970s in, in in los angeles so that really kind of piqued my interest you know and cool little detail too he's the son of a his dad was a new york city detective and he wears his badge on his belt Mm. which is just mm. amazing. But look, this conversation, I mean, I was in a, not a bad place, but I was in a, I was in a stressed out place Sure. on, on Friday and Saturday, just after talking to Ted, it was just incredible. So please mm. enjoy this live jazz, as he would say, riff of uh, amazing discussion with uh, Barefoot Ted McDonald. Ditch Radio. Joining us from the Republic of California is um, Barefoot Ted McDonald. Ted, how are you? Right on, dudes. Well, I am, you know, when the sun is shining and my lungs are taking in deep, wonderful breaths of air somewhere where I'm looking out at the sky or the sea or a mountain and I'm in my barefoot standing on the ground. Every single time, always, when I do that, every single time, I feel great. And I just did that, did a little trot out in the sun and came back to, you know, sort of juice myself for today's talk. And um, I'd say I'm doing great. And I appreciate the question. How about you guys over there? (laughs) We're doing, I mean, we were just, we kind of touched on it before. I think the answer is we're doing okay. Like there's a lot, obviously, we're, you know, we're in a nationwide lockdown again. We didn't expect to be, but uh, I think I speaking personally, uh, got a lot to got a lot to be very, very fortunate for. And I think it's really important to keep that in mind. You know, totally. Even the fact that, for instance, I I go out every day to work. So, you know, in my day job, I leave the house and go to a place of work is is something to be you know to be thankful for and got the forest and running and all that. So yeah, not bad. What about you, Eugene? Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, like I said, I mean, we didn't expect to be in a lockdown, but we are, but we're in lockdown for a good reason because we're going to stamp this thing out and get back to normal soon. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling positive and, uh, enjoying getting out for runs, doing, doing, discovering little parts of the neighborhood that I, that I, you know, rediscovering parts of the neighborhood that I don't normally see or, um, Oh, I love that. I love that. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Every single um, setback 
that we face in our life in any way as a society, as an individual, as an athlete, whatever. There are always new places to discover new things that you wouldn't have been able to recognize if you didn't stop or be forced to change direction. And ultimately, the way we mentally decide to handle problems in our lives will ultimately play out into how we'll deal with setbacks and traps. So there's this, and it's an, it's not a like a plus minus, you know, it's like there's, there's frequencies and there's distortion and there's, but the ultimate thing is we're all, you know, um, the most important thing is we're rediscovering how valuable it is to be healthy, to be able to have the ability to just kind of move about. And, but more importantly, what you just said, I think it's a great opportunity to rediscover the mystery and the wonder that's always all around you anyway. You don't really have to go far. Matter of fact, if you just want to see what, have an opportunity to quickly see wild nature in its fullest, just stare in a blank blue place in the sky for a little bit. There you go. I mean, it's always there and it's always reviving. You don't have the epic adventures, some of our wonderful communities and members, and all of that is certainly being disrupted radically. And we'll always, like I was saying, it's almost like a net, it's a near death experience. Mm. And it, it really helps you to reevaluate what you're going to do as you begin to be able to get back to not only back to normal, but in this case, we're going to be so much more sophisticated about how important it is that we're taking good care of ourselves as a contribution to the betterment of the whole planet. Mm. Really, self-care becomes this gigantic new opportunity to really do something valuable. Mind, body, spirit, self-care. Those people that reach those places under the trying of circumstances help become a, a beacon or an anchor for us to sort of try to emulate as best as possible because there will always be setbacks of some kind or another. This is just inevitable. So attitude has got a lot to do with it and mm, dreaming of how we can um, stay, uh, you know, I'm, you guys are having a much harder time right now than we are here in Santa Barbara, but things can radically change at any time. And I live at the, I live on the coast. So it's a little less, you know, I'm not having to be in conjunction, but I went just last week to Leadville, Colorado. The Leadville 100 went on again, and it was a celebration of it's we really that Leadville race has this feeling of family. You know, it's like this is family. The, this is last year. It was it couldn't happen. Obviously, it was like we were in a lockdown, too. This year it happened. And it's amazing. The people who will go and can go to a place like that, they're understanding there's a risk to obviously there's always and there's always been some kind of risk, maybe not as great as now. But if you're if you're comorbid or if your immune system is low and you go and you get a flu anytime in the history of the world at any time in any place, you are going to die more or less. Well, this case, we didn't die. I went there seeing if I could make 100 miles. I like to think of uh, those 100 mile races as like 100 years in a day. And my whole thing these days has been trying to find, and that's why I think having to compress things is really good. My thing is trying to find what's the least amount, the, the minimum dose required to get the best result. The result being not specifically a performance parameter like a speed, distance, or time necessarily, but a feeling of well-being and vitality that you can build into a system when you don't overtax it, but rather get it to learn how to get in balance and equilibrium. 
and combining things like I'm trying to um, I'm trying to bring balance into the performance element of running that's so much a part of our um, vocabulary and understanding. And it's epic and we want it and it should be there and it's cool. But this other part where it's like a practice of running where it's really connected about just doing like something like breathing and being in fresh air and seeing, you know, it's almost a hygienic daily dose. That's not something you have to be disciplined so much to do as much as you have to be consistent. It's not being regularly going outside and making sure you get these kind of like microdose experiences of outdoor weather, breathing fresh air, seeing, I think, add up, kind of build an inertia in the system. And that's what I've been sort of working on this last two years now, since I did Leadville 2019, I completed it after kind of this microdose style. And this time I was on the same trajectory and it turned out that um, uh, I just need a little bit more, you know, I, in the end though, I came, the race was last Saturday, 4 a.m., by 6 p.m., I had missed by some minutes the cutoff at the 50-mile point, but I made it there. And I was, like, feeling mm. fabulous, you guys. And so I came home, and I'm 57 now, too, right? I had no hip. I mean, I stayed so much in that little groove, but I was riding the deadlines mm. a little bit, too. You know, it was just right on the edge. But I got. I learned so much, and it was like I was thinking setbacks, learning something from them. This past weekend, I came up with a strategy the the uh, race director is this guy named Ken Colbert. He's an old miner. He saved the town. You know, he's a hardcore dude. Legend. And I actually did a podcast with his son that won't air until September in the office of this dude. And it's like, you know, he's unique to his place and his time. You know, his room's filled with taxidermy. You know, it's like there's old metals and you know, you can get the you can get the feeling. I mean, this dude was like hardcore miner suddenly saw his town getting disrupted radically with the ending of thousands and thousands of jobs, tried to pull something together and had just heard of a hundred mile run. And basically with guts and courage, you know, this kind of attitude, I went and, you know, and so, but what I love about the whole thing, as he says, when you're in the midst, and this is why I think hundred milers are so good. And it's great to have this, be able to have this as be an object to talk about. And then I'll let you guys have your show. <laughs> Because I think you'll love this part. It's almost no. like I'll answer the question before the host asks the great question. Then you can ask it when it's done. But it, the end is like this. We've always got it. And Ken's thing is dig deep, you know, dig deep, you know. And it's like um, since my take is often, you know, I really don't care if I fail or win or any. I mean, specifically, I'm really about for me, the failure or the win is in the experience and managing the experience in a way that's mostly enjoyable and pleasant and connecting and and beautiful and good, palpably good. I'm not interested in destroying my body or mind. But um, there are times when you still have to dig deep trying to stay in that space, obviously. And one was like going up Hope Pass. So I flew out of sea level on Wednesday. The race was Saturday morning. Not a lot of acclimatization. It's all above 10,000 feet, uh, you know, 3,000 plus meters. And then there's a really high climb called Hope Pass. Two years ago, it kicked my ass. So it's like even Coloradans, you start going up and you kind of stop, you know how it goes, walk a few steps, stop, trying to control nausea, you know, these kind of things. But then I thought, suddenly had this epiphany and I've been doing a lot of breath training lately and a lot of my running, my training is nose breathing entirely. So that's wow. how compacted it is. 
But then I just started a kind of odd form of hyperventilating that I kind of kind of like got the idea from my my beagle yogi and he like gets wiped out real quick in heat like because he's low to the ground but when we were up in the rockies he runs and runs like nothing there's no problem but he's constantly in the mouth breathing you know i'm trying to go nose breathing mostly because that card sort of confines me but suddenly i realized and um, and running back at night, I'd be really almost almost hyperventilating, but all nose breathing, all in through the wow. nose. But then I had cogitated on from the two years before struggling up there, and I'm still trying to nose breathe. I said, this time, screw it. I'll do whatever it takes. That was my digging deep. And I started breathing like a beagle with its mouth open, fast and deep um, hyperventilations. And I just regained my energy and just kept going right on and started passing people and feeling better and better. And just missed that deadline. But I believe I was like, in other words, I had solved a little bit of a riddle and I dug deep for myself. And all of us need to be doing that all the time. Particularly, we should do it in the other, use our races and stories and things like that to do it. But it ends up needing application in our daily lives too. So there you have it, Barefoot Ted, 100 mile take. <laughs> so there's, that's, I mean, you've just said some, I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff you just said that was amazing, but I love the idea of adaptation and adaptation mm. on the run as well. You know, you, you adapted, you changed to the circumstances and that's what maybe we had become pre-COVID a little bit stuck in our ways and a little bit kind of this is the way we do things and we've learned that we have to change, we can adapt and we can get on and thrive. And that's yep. kind of a little microcosm of that, isn't it? Totally. That's, I think that's the point of it all. I mean, a hundred mile race is a lot to bite off and chew in a day. I mean, you don't want to do that. I, I connect it to like big wave surfing. It's like, do you really want to ride the big waves every day or all the time? And you right. know, when you're 57, I, I'm, I don't have a, I'm not, I am trying to prove myself, but in a different way, I guess you say, I mean, I, I do like seeing if I can do something, set my mind to it follow through, do what's required and get it done. It, there's a certain, obviously, a, amount of joy in being able to, uh, you know, focus and get things done in that way. That can often get disrupted too. So you get at some point, you realize not everything's going to go the way you want. Um, and then you sort of, I hope with wisdom over time, you start kind of getting a correspondence between what you shoot for, what you imagine you're capable of and what is reality. And that's a wonderful tool as you can shape basically your capacity in good alignment with your own imagination of what you can do and then have various opportunities, which we're lacking a little bit now, but more and more opportunities to go to places where you can share with others your revealment of your capacity or not. Mm. You know, it's like, a, it's almost like a church. So I really, that's why I really think the dirt church concept is in reality, it really is a congregation of people. This really is a religion with rituals and various kinds of symbols and so forth. And it's religion in the best way possible, i.e. all religion should do is bring people together who have good attitudes and similar goals, who get to go out and celebrate with each other as they do the work. I mean, really, these trail races are a symbol of good human behavior without any committee you know it just kind of self-forming mm. it certainly is more than the sum of its parts isn't it you get totally that's the thing you take say 50 trail runners or 50 people any passionate about uh let's say most people passionate about most things there's some groups who are passionate about stuff that we won't talk you know they can go do one as far as i'm concerned but 
people passionate about something positive and they get together, yeah, yeah. It just it it totally takes it to the next level. Look, in 2017, I asked you, and I'm going to quote myself, which is a bit gauche, but there you go. Uh, surely selling a simple sandal like Luna is not an ongoing business model. And yet here we are, we're in 2021. Um, <sighs> how's, how's the business going? Well, that's a, that is a great, you know, that's a great story. Now I want to tell you something about sandal. Uh, you know, I've, I'm a sandal maker and, um, you know, um, unapologetically, I'm starting to realize that sandal making is an old school tradition. It's kind of like, um, I often say, we are like surfers making surfboards, or it could just as easily be skaters making skateboards. Or, And what it means is um, by being embroiled in the process, both in the making of an artifact and in the use of it, you begin to sort of riff on feel. And feel is another field that's hard to quantify, but it's there. And you know it. And it has other elements to it, two stories and, and sort of like voting with your money, let's say, or voting with your energy about what object you'll use to do the things that you aspire to do in your adventure life or whatever, or lifestyle or whatever. So sandals have become like from early on, I even before I ever even went down into the Copper Canyons, I had already started really and investigating deeply this very old school tool that's allowed us to adventure on bigger waves, you know, the analogy, the waves, the mountains mm. on bigger waves, more comfortably and safely than maybe uh, you could if you were just body surfing it all the time or whatever. And um, I think it's been, we've been as humans riffing on sandals and footwear from the earliest days, even though we don't have a lot of, um, uh, physical evidence. Uh, well, there's the Iceman, of course, which is a fabulous shoe from whatever Swiss Alps and whatnot. But surely if you've ever been barefoot out in nature, as I have and often do, you'll find there are situations when the barefoot ain't going to be the best tool in the toolbox. And um, a human being quickly figures out what it doesn't take a lot. In other words, you're walking, your feet are getting tired. It's hot. You step on a cow paddy, you step on some dry grass, your foot suddenly feels better. It doesn't take long that you're pretty soon stepping on cow patties and then dry grass and then so forth and so on. And yada, yada, bling, dong, ding. You have a sandal maker still in the 21st century making sandals. And that's me. And many others, too, because there's not just one surfboard maker or one anything maker. Any legitimate space should open itself up to others who want to enter and try and then the goal is to just make sure you can make great boards that you believe in, you love making, you love the people who make them, that you love the process, you like interacting with the customers and the work, you know, and so forth and so on. And it becomes this symphony and business on that level in that way ends up becoming a, its own sort of microsystem. That's like, it finds it, it without any, back to this idea. I mean, we, you know, it's like a, it's a self-forming system on some level. I'm not a, I didn't like open a book and like, Step one for sandal company, you know, blah, 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 yada, yada. It's like, you know, riffing, it's music. It's more musical than it is. And life is more musical mm. than like perfect equations, you know? Sometimes there's weird squelches in the background. <laughs> what the hell is that? Uh, but they suddenly take you off onto another wonderland of rhythm and that you didn't even know existed. I, I, I So there is a lot of philosophy in that answer, but I'm a sandal maker, sir. I, I, I mean, it's that thing, isn't it? You talk about like a surfboard or talk about like, a, I don't know, a spork or whatever. Objects have that meaning. Um, 
And I mean, God, I, I've got a pair of Oso 2 sandals. I wear them every day. I don't necessarily run in them, but there's right. a period of time every day that I wear those sandals and uh, to get, you know, even to go get the, go down to the letterbox or uh, at the moment it's, it's to go to work so I can get changed into my uniform. I'll put my sandals on, you know, they're my to and from work shoes. Um, but, so you've adapted them into like a ritual almost basically. Dude, I tell you what they became, and I, I've got heaps of friends that wear them. So I'll just share a little anecdote. I was thinking about it last night when I was running when I used to work in what's called a, a crisis team, basically, we would have, we worked in rural West Auckland. So we covered the beaches and the sand and the, you know, like the bushy part of Auckland and our dress. I mean, we're not in a uniform, we're casual, you know, and a big thing with it in our team is we'd wear what's called flip-flops or jandals because you're going in and out of people's houses. You're, um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you were yeah. really, and, and it was sort of a studied casualness. If you've got to run out of someone's house, you're not stopping at the door to tie your laces. You know, oh, yeah. Put your shoes on. So you're going to be barefoot anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. And we'd walk around the top floor of our office without our shoes on because it's a very Kiwi thing to do. And then we got this new manager who was just, it seemed to be their thing that they hated the fact that even though we weren't in a, you know, we were in an office space that we would walk around in bare feet. And it became a real thing for this person, you know, like you must have closed toed shoes on. We're like, well, Oh, stink. Yeah. And, uh, and then, <laughs> or you, and the policy said you must have a, 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 in, a close enclosed heel. So that was the policy. It wasn't about having closed toed shoes. It was, oh, about, it was, having, it was about having it. Nice. Yeah. So when I got my, I got my lunars and I started wearing them to work just basically as the subversive, you know, they were like, yeah. well, you well, can't have, yeah. I was like, Natural. look, it says it's, it's got a closed top. It's got a closed heel on it. You know, I had less, you know, it's basically, it, it's, it's a jandle anyway, but that, that's the thing that really got it for me. It became the sort of subversive. like. Well, it's played that role in its yeah. day in different, in different ecosystems. Right. It's like, Oh, you can't run in that. And then, you know, yeah, people do, but in the end, I'm really, I think you just summed it up. I'm hoping that Luna is used more and more as a, you know, we make, we make sure it's a, as high quality and as beautifully made and as comfortable and all that we can and as responsibly made as we know how and sent around and people get them and all the, but in the end, it's like for people to find a way to sort of use, I mean, why not use anything you get or you use that's valuable and certainly footwear, we need to honor it more, right? It's been this it has radically improved in many cases. And then sometimes because of errors in judgment and, you know, junk science and mass marketing, you suddenly can have a, lo- a solution that's really not a solution. And people might not be able to ultimately rediscover first and foremost, the, the, the capacity that they already have just by virtue of being born a human being. But mm. ultimately they're going to need tools in the toolkit and they might as well experiment. And certainly Luna is certainly one that you can have in your toolkit without having to avert your eyes or hold your nose when you take it out. Unless, unless you don't rinse it off. If you rinse it off every day when you're done, it should be nice and clean. (laughs) Where are, you mentioned the, the um, ebbs and flows and so on. And obviously after the publication of Born to Run, there was an explosion of interest in barefoot running. Where are we at now? There's been a lot of toing and froing and a lot of kind of, um, mudslinging it seems but from your perspective where as a planet are we up to with our attitude to barefoot running yeah that's a great question you know i think that ultimately 
Um, and by the way, am I too dark in here? Uh, no, you, it's amazing. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because um, that's the up above me right here is a portrait my grandma McDonald did of me when I was um, seven or six or seven. And I, I very regular and I can see that same portrait in a mirror in front of me. And I, I really do um, strongly identify with that character mm-hmm. and his outlook of the world. So I've re put it back there. Um, Born to Run was a it, Born to Run has become such an important story for people to sort of get like maybe have an aha moment about themselves and about humanity in this capacity that we have in the shared story. So there's that aha moment, and then of course, as you just mentioned, um, there's a uh, there's been in the book a kind of a, a controversy is somewhat ignited or at least um, a, a new interesting debate is restarted, which is about what is the human capacity? What can we do? What do we need in order to do some of these other things? And what don't we need? And um, I was obviously a proponent about, um, at, at least I am a proponent, continue to be, and was in the book, a proponent of at least let's make sure we investigate the um, capacities that we have as individuals before any admixture. And in other words, let's make sure you don't automatically start from the premise that you're sort of born broken and you need all kinds of things in order to do what a good healthy human being can do. Since my conception is some simple stuff, you know, stand on the ground, get sun on your face, breathe air. Uh, I mean, there's, it, it's some of the, I mean, obviously quality food and these things, these are go on and on, but regardless, some of the most basic ones are quite simple. And I, I really wanted to encourage people to reconnect with their feet and at least start investigating in that way. And I think that was a success. So I think 15 years later, the book was published 2009 and the experience was 2006. So somewhere, let's say around 15 years later, um, I think a lot more people are cognizant of the complexity of the foot and the idea that there may or may not be, um, you know, a perfect solution for every individual that some other expert other than you goes, finds and pulls a trigger and gets it all taken care of in one fell swoop. It's more a process like life. And there's um, uh, there's hints and tricks. And for me, certainly barefooting what has been and continues to be an incredible tuning fork, uh, a way to uh, test and check in on how well and efficiently I'm moving because efficiency in moving is a really great way to determine its value, not just performance markers. Wow. You can really perform well, but what about just every day all the time? Where's your efficiency? And that's why I've been into this nose breathing, much lighter doses of running, but erring on quality, high quality, integrating that investigative and, and, and finding the mystery in even the locale, even the, Uh, You know, I've always all my life had these dreams where suddenly in a space, in a place where I've always been, there's a new door, a new opening. And that's reality, too. There's always a new thing. So in in these situations when you're when you're not able to really don't like, yeah, obviously you guys are already doing it. But it's we're always having some kind of parameter to our freedom that we can move on, whether it's a lockdown or a freeway or a. Uh, uh, bad weather or whatever. There's always things that are going to get in the way. We still, we don't have to have it always be something that's impacting us negatively. I think there's a lot to be said about um, mental habits that turn those setbacks into new targets and new opportunities. 
obviously that's going to be, you know, it's a, if, if you get into a rut, it's going to suck. And, but as soon as you're out and you start using the attitude of like, I'm going to try to find the interesting element in all this, you know, uh, well, probably you'll move in the direction that'll ultimately get you out of the rut. There's some, I, and I was listening, my wife's doing some listening to a guy that's got this interesting, and I, I adapt it to my own life, but I agree. If you have the capacity to imagine clearly into the future, the hopeful success or uh, overcoming of the situation, whatever it is, but if you can get locked in onto it and sort of like um, truly imagine it as existing there, you're almost getting a sort of a feed line to help you to get moving into that space better by actually grasping onto that future moment and sort of using it as an anchor to pull you in. I kind of like that analogy because, you know, what you focus on does have, obviously, without any mumbo jumbo. I mean, you said in your mind something you want to do and you go try to do it. Something's going to happen. And if you do it, then it was in your mind before you started. There you go. <laughs> well, like you said, I mean, even physiologically, if you if we think about our neuroplasticity, you know, and you talked about that sort of thing about microdosing anything, it's it's little and often, right? If you're oh, yeah. making a neural pathway. So if your neural pathway, it's like the path to the garden shed, right? If your path to the garden shed is, I'm always going to fail, this is always going to suck. Yeah. Then that is, you will be drawn like down that neural pathway. That's where you will oh, go. Yeah. And you will snatch defeat from the jaws of victory every single time. And we see, I mean, goodness me, I work with people who through trauma or and, and, and various kind of systemic, it's, it's not ever one thing, you know, their lives are, you know, if, <laughs> you know, if, if you fall down, uh, what's the thing? You fall down a gold mine, you come up with a mouthful of shit, you know, like versus you fall down a sewer, come up with a mouthful of gold. It, it's that thing, isn't it? You, there's a real, I don't think it, it doesn't sound airy fairy at all. It's, it's. Yeah. You know, focus on the, well, on, on right the positive. Here in Santa, right here in Santa Barbara, I had a really interesting uh, situation happen to me re recently. I've been getting into the breath work concepts a lot. Only I've been in it all my life. I've been like breath holding was part of the challenge of being a young person. And, um, and indeed, uh, two months ago, I went down to Mexico for a retreat, a week long um, with Erwan Lacour talking kind of about it's it's basically free diving techniques taken to another level in in uh, um, sort of like relaxation techniques and 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 calming techniques and so I've I've been and then right in my neighborhood here in Santa Barbara um, a guy named Brian McKenzie sort of helped get funded some really interesting research going on in. Um, trauma, PTSD, and other things with some breathing techniques right here in town. Hmm. And some interesting data starting to come out. This is a lady with, with, um, with a PhD in um, medical economics. And she's she was having anxiety if she started doing breath work and then suddenly realized, oh my God, um, this is being more effective than some of the major pharmaceuticals that we're now using. And it's a breathing technique. And as a medical economics person, you know, it's like, hmm, how do you uh, solve a problem um, and get a more effective thing um, that costs, you know, that has no material? It's just a new service. Teach people how to breathe better. So I'm in that space and I'm in that place where I've had a chance to practice it. I would say a pandemic is a particularly good chance to test your metal. 
right? I mean, it's like, here it is, folks. This is reality. You're now in a pandemic. What are you going to do? And what we do is tells us everything about who we are one way or another. I mean, whether we like it or not, there we, we have to face each of this is a real situation. We've really been experiencing it. What are we going to learn? What have we learned? What are we how are we going to go forward? I see a coming radical, massive wave of new and better insights to, to take care of our mental and physical health, clearly coming down the pike in like nutraceuticals, mushroom therapies, breath technique, you know, all kinds of simple stuff, but much more easy to propagate and share rather mm. than, you know, I don't know if it's going to be part of your professional services on your first menu of choice in your medical establishments in the world anytime soon, but there's a lot of like at least writing on the wall, much like with foot uh, health, let's say 15 years ago, where people thought I'm going to have to wear yada, yada, blah, 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 the rest of my life because I have X, Y, Z, yada, yada, syndrome, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so forth and so on, they became their own like medical hmm. practitioner and just told the doctor what they needed. Maybe in the future, it'll be something as simple. Go outside and breathe for five minutes. Come back and we'll have a talk. <laughs> I, I know it's not always that easy, obviously, but you you know what I mean? A lot of our first world depressions are probably a little breath work would be helpful. Mm. Well, this is the thing. And I think it, it you talk about it. It's, it's a systemic thing, isn't it? So I think about the, you know, we work from I, I, almost like a very kind of Westminster European medical model here. Um, however, things inroads are being made and it's coming top down which is really good i think about our friend uh eugene and my friend who works he's a professor of psychiatry at uci davis um over your neck of the woods and the stuff that they're doing in lots of ways you know with the uh using like ketamine and things like oh, that yeah that you would, yeah you know, yeah, you, yeah traditionally you'd be like what but not in the dose like in a micro dose yeah yeah kind of thing i mean yeah, it's 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 coming down the you, as it's you said, coming. it's coming down the pike. I'm, it's coming. I'm so hopeful that we're yeah, gonna it's there. it's going to be pretty radical. I think uh, that along with just cleaning out some of the common toxins that a lot of people are kind of continuously and still being fed, and it's being still in the line. There's a lot of I think there's a lot of good evidence that some of the systemic physical um, uh, maladies that are also ultimately connected to just a healthy biome, whether the the body's natural, you know, there's a hundred times more other than us mm. living on us. I mean, there's a hundred trillion cells yeah. of you identified as you, but on top of that, there's a hundred million or a hundred times more other things, not you in the substrate of you that if they're your friend, mm. that's probably good. If they're your enemy, <laughs> oh, ooh, that's man, good. that's not good, man. No. You've got your enemy living in the interstices mm. of your cells. Hmm, <laughs> I think you might be in trouble. I, I think too, Matt, about the um, your colleagues in Māori mental health and oh. the work they're doing with instruments, for instance, yeah, using yeah. instruments and um, as a way to um, center people and and connect them. Like from you mentioned oh. your grandmother there, Ted, you know, centered them with their tipuna, with their with their. Um, their ancestors and you know you there, there's other ways aren't there and I mean, you, you know much more about that than me man oh no i think it's that it's it's that thing isn't it it's that re, like that connect like you said it could be footwear it could be an experience it could be a smell but that's that which anchors you to a, a and, and think about say music in the and i'm sure it's like that with um you know indigenous mexican indigenous american culture that yeah. n- that stepping away from the the you know, we're so nuclear in 
like uh, this is my family this is us but if you think about this is uh, this goes back you know thousands of generations oh yeah. therefore if you have uh you know a, a, a note or a resonance which anchors you back there i mean think oh, about your yeah. fa- think about your favorite you know like i the first time i ever spoke to you i was like i plucked up the courage and, and what came to mind was you grew up in socal in the 70s you must have gone to a black flag show that's right. That's right. <laughs> like, that's that's that was my end. Like, yeah, very. That's so random. Do, do, very do you like people, Black right? Flag? It's yeah. <laughs> you remember, you know, the and first I time also you heard I saw the war. culture. I saw the culture it bubbles up from what was there, yeah. and I I kind of like survived and rode that wave, and now here I am, and here we are, yeah. and so look, it's informed me in its own way, uniquely. Yeah of being in that culture. And here we are like, you know, we have our own now culture. We're like, we're the new voices. And what is it that we're going to talk about now? Well, back then my uh, level of teenage angst was higher than it is now. I'll give you that for sure. Mm -hmm. But the power and the desire to do find the way forward that I can do affirmatively and with a way that um, I don't have to avert my eyes has become, that's my, that's my style now. Mm -hmm. And, um, And some why I mentioned the Republic of California is because I was cogitating on California has been such an incredible um, generator of value in the world. In other words, it's created all kinds of um, it's 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 blossomed into a world culture, certain things that I think deserve to be world cultures, Uh, surfing, skating, so much music so much film, so much computer stuff and ideas and lifestyles and foods. And so it's it's this incredible generator and it's generating in a way by its capacity to, um, uh, I mean, in its, in its highest form, let's say, I mean, it's got all the things, you know, all the good and bad enough. So, but in its purest form, it's a place where beings from all over the planet and all kinds of different traditions and different attitudes and different styles come together and interact with each other in a, in good weather and do cool shit. I mean, that's what happens. Right. And so more of that and, and doing it well, adding value to the world and finding ways to do it. And in my contribution right now, it's, it happens to be sandals. Uh, there's a great tradition here in California. When you study sandal history, it's got an incredible, it's an incredible trajectory that starts in England with a, a guy in uh, wearing sandals after a visit from India. I'm serious. I can find the thread that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. goes all the way back to England. But one of its best, uh, you know, I think sandals started representing sort of counterculture, subculture, hippie culture, a little bit freer, a little bit less contained or fearful. The foot no longer is this hideous thing that you need to avert your eyes. I mean, some people literally, because of the close connection between where your foot and your genitals sense their reality in your brain. They're kind of close. Some people, there's their reaction to a foot is like the, you know, having been seeing themselves naked, you know, it's like, ah, you know, something like that. All of this goes into like California surf culture, beach culture, which continues all the way to this moment. So we really did capture a wave here. I mean, all the jangles that are being worn in the world, which is the number one selling footwear in the world now. That comes out of California. I mean, it's like I'm in Santa Barbara and there's a company called Deckers. They make all kinds of shoes, Ugg, and they make Hoka, and they make yada, yada, and they make all these. They started out as a flip-flop company, a jangles company. And so there's power in them, their sandals. Hmm. There's power in them. (laughs) 
Hey, Ted, I just wanted to dig down a little bit more into into the breathing. We've touched on it a couple of times, but uh, and you mentioned it in relation to your training for Leadville. So yeah. I just wonder if you could um, break it down a little bit more for us and, and, and tell us about what what it is you mean and how you incorporate it into your training, if you call it training, for something like Leadville. Totally, man. Yeah, I, that's a great question. So there's a trippy book, man. And I'm telling you, you got to listen to this, folks. It's trippy. There's a guy named John Catlin, I think. Catlin's is definitely his last name. He was a very fine artist in the eight, late mid to late 1800s who was somehow given the commission to go around to Native American tribes all across the Americas and paint people. So he did. He went around and painted. And uh, somewhere in the 1860s, early 1870s, it was republished a few times. He finally, I mean, his paintings are, you know, masterpieces. They're whatever. They're like respected by most of the tribes too. I mean, it's like, thank you. You know, this is a, it's a wonderful thing to have a masterfully painted lifeness of whomever. Mm. He ends up coming back and how in the hell is this connecting to breath work? You got to wonder. He comes back and he writes a book and it's frigging profound and it's worth reading. You can find it online. It's called Shut Your Mouth and Save Your Life. I mean, it is a crazy title. <laughs> Shut your mouth and save your life. Okay? Hard to, <laughs> hard to not like be like, what the f*** is that? So you read the book, and it is something he came to recognize deeply. And it, it obviously, it became so profoundly an issue for him that he wrote this book with such a title as that, which had the same reaction then as it has now. What the hell are you talking about? And he goes in there and he makes the gigantic case that you better shut your mouth and start breathing through your nose. And because if you don't, I'm going to show you what's going to happen. And he literally tells the story how every single tribe he went to from childhood onward are training their members to close their mouths. To uh, particularly to spend a lot of time sleep with your mouth closed and so forth and so on. So and he makes all these somewhat quacky and wild conjectures about what it means and how that works and whatnot. But nonetheless, the simple fact was, this is something he recognized. It was so important to him. And then he would start, um, the way the natives would look at Westerners was look at, I mean, these people are obviously screwed. I mean, their teeth are rotting out of their, their, their mouths are open. They look like dying ghosts. They can't even breathe through their nose. Their skulls are squashed. They figured that we were like, you know, I mean, the Westerners they were seeing at that time were essentially misfits of some kind and not capable of surviving. The simple fact that they couldn't close their mouth and breathe showed that there was, you know, to them, that was like an illness, right? That was a sign of like, you're sick. These days, I would grant you probably the vast majority of people in certain Western populations cannot breathe out of their nose. But that's another topic for another day. I'll say this. I sleep with my nose closed. I mean, nose closed, my mouth closed. I, uh, I've trained myself to stay in that space. And then by practicing some kind of breathing techniques, and both for preparation for, for free diving and also just for daily, like a meditative practice without any, you know, um, without anything to other than just time, um, be able to sort of get a little bit of a better, um, bead on staying in control of the voracious 
uh, 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 mind you can see wants to make sound out of my vocal cords half the time. So like finding that sweet spot and comfort zone, breathing becomes an incredible tool. And then in running, it really helps you to just focus on being there, being there now, staying, finding how to stretch the comfort zone of just nose breathing rather than, and, and so you're really getting training in self-regulating. And I do that also with sauna and cold plunge. I mean, these are just things I naturally have done on my own. I didn't follow any trend. These have been just my own experiences over the last 15 years and wanting to make sure that I have more to say than just run all day, run all the time, run until you drop, run, 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 run. It's not quite like that. And all of it leads back to, back to the nose breathing and everything to a, um, an, an interesting American philosopher that I've become an expert on that just spoke right to me when I first discovered him about 15 years ago. And the more I've studied him, the more interesting it's become as a storytelling platform. But here's a guy, basically, he dies in 1940, but he's he's um, studying at one of the only non-medical, uh, non-medicine focused medical schools that was had got a license for some small period of time in New York City in like the 1880s or 90s. And he ends up like really learning some good stuff about basically how to stay hygienic. The concept was hygienic therapy, basically all preventative, not about treating disease, but rather just creating a vital system that is basically impervious to disease because a very vital human system is a basically a middle finger to the world of all the trouble that might come at it all the time living on this planet as we do. And so he made this big effort and his thing was his, the first I could find, it was an incredible story I'll have to tell someday, but basically as I discovered him and some correspondences of where I lived and all this stuff, it was quite fascinating. I was focused more on him. And then I suddenly found this treatise in the 1890s about running as an exercise. The first one in the United States is talking about running as an exercise. And it turned out to be my guy. So I paid more attention. It was quite fascinating. And of course, barefoot was in there, but it was all about lower intensity, really about just hygienically adding this dose. So I began to sort of, I've been experimenting on these kind of things more, not in any kind of like, I, you know, I'm not really like a runner in any kind of traditional sense, but I, this non-traditional way, this practice way is something I want to talk about more and become a sort of a, 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 a preacher, a practitioner and a sharer of, and actually get people to integrate, you know, even non-performance runners, regular everyday people who maybe never are going to run a marathon or a trail race or anything, getting them to have some basic understanding about foot comfort, breathing, getting outdoors and moving even a little bit. I mean, like Lloyd was really talking about like a mile or so a day, like really well would be like the greatest vaccine you could ever hope for in life. Basically he's making this mm. kind of argument. You get out there, get sun, get this kind of breathing and like keeping it, getting it where you're stretching the, you're stretching the period where you can go, where you're just very calmly able to go. There you go. That's what I've been doing. And let me tell you, it's been working really good. It's been working mm. better than anything else I've ever done because I literally, by doing some of these little habits I've been doing, truly can say confidently that I'm getting stronger and healthier and overcoming certain kind of 
menaces or niggling things that have been problems in the past through different diet, you know, and it's both connected to mental, spiritual, let's say physical health. There's some kind of, they're all radiating or resonating on the same frequency on some level. And if one's out of kilter radically, obviously we can see it can affect everything. But these simple things, I mean, uh, and breathing is how everybody's got access to it right now today. You know, you can't, it, nobody can say, well, I don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wears out after about a minute, you know, you, you, start, you decide you want to, you, you just really quickly learn how magnificent and miraculous the body is on its own. When you just try to will yourself to not breathe anymore, give it a try, see how long you can make it. Mm. Well, I mean, and that's the thing, isn't it? Like, I, I mean, our mutual friend, James Kugler, I vividly remember him sending me out for laps of the domain with a mouthful of water saying, mm. we're to come back and spit that out on the ground. Wow, there was I a bunch it. of us, you know, like whoever has the most water in their mouth at the end of this mile wins. Wow. And so, of course, we had to breathe through our mouths. And it was, a, wow. yeah, it was really interesting. You should try it, Eugene. It's, it's really interesting. Like yeah. run with a mouthful of water. Yeah, that's a that's a native thing too. They do yeah. that with rocket mouth. So yeah, he got that from there. Okay. Yeah. So that that was the thing. Go out, but you're so right. That breathing is just. I mean, when you really focus on the breath, it and it's gosh, it's something we'll do from our you know our first day to our last, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's literally the first and the last thing we'll ever do. That's it. I mean, goodness me. Oh. Mm. So nothing fundamental. Yeah, it's fundamental. Such, a, such a fundamental. I mean, what. In such time, I mean, you said, again, one of the things you said, it's interesting times and we're certainly such interesting critters. I mean, do you have a plan moving forward or is it just a sort of continuation of, of, of I guess, what is your life's work that is to live, really? Well, you know, I'm starting to realize more and more. I mean, I'm, as I get older, I start realizing I'm becoming the elder. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm almost, you know, in three, I, so I started thinking I'm going to be 60 in three years. That's a pretty good, you know, indicator that you've kind of like reached. And I've been also thinking that as you age, ideally, I mean, this is once again, you know, you can pick positive or negative, right? We, and then sort of aim for the one, you know, anchor out into the future, into the one that you want and see if you can get a little leverage around the rock, you know? Um, but that being said, um, I really like the idea of riffing on that idea with other people that because of some of the insights we're gaining about our mental and physical health that are kind of outside um, the uh, they're, they're, uh, people who are pioneers will always be a little bit ahead of other people in discovering things. Just it's the natural, you know, they go out to the edge and they check and they look and they see what's good and they come back and they report back. And over time. They develop a rapport. They're a good scout or they're a good uh, pioneer. They're helping people to find new ways to get somewhere safely so that everybody benefits together in some way or another. And they're not like going around trying to come up with schemes and scams to like make their group win over another group. And so, I mean, you know, anyway, it's complicated. But going into the future, I'm starting to see myself more as a sort of becoming an elder of some kind or another. And which is ridiculous because on the other hand, I make every effort to stay as a child as this guy, and this is why he's here, this portrait of me at, at six or seven. So, because I believe that um, the innocence of the children and a child of their imagination of the world that they can imagine in their space is valid. And I mean, can be incredibly insightful. And I 
I love that um, being able to sort of keep childlike elements, i.e. curiosity, not always assuming the worst, right? A kid doesn't have maybe in some cases enough trauma to not know that probably you shouldn't go down a hill like that because when you crash, you probably are going to have scars that'll still be on your body when you're 57 and you're only 11. And there it is on the side right there still. But <laughs> that being said, um, uh, yeah, uh, I think I want to find more ways to sort of like share what it is I've learned. And I think every year after 50 and 60 will be a goodly number uh, when that comes is I feel like you get one percentage point better at making any particular decisions in and now. So after 50, I say you need to really juice yourself up and see what you can like aim for. I think whatever you can get yourself believing in somehow or another, you're going to have a better shot at it as you get older. That's at least the riff I'm playing on. So by the time I'm 60, I hope to be, and I'm pretty close. So uh, I'm pretty close and I want to start, I think I'm going to have to start having like, I don't know, people got me wanting to do, you know, more podcasts, which I enjoy doing. There's like talk of some kind of TV show for the Born to Run crew or whatever. And that's like, okay, great. That would be great. Um, there's, uh, you know, speaking engagements at run and all of those things I never took terribly seriously or took advantage of a lot, even though I was being asked, this goes back to like, what, how, how did born to run change your life? Then it became, oh my gosh, you know, don't play ice cream music. If you don't have ice cream, I would like, you know, get people interested in something I'm doing, but not be able to in any way, um, uh, manage, uh, the relationships that would come upon, you know, not Luna has been too small. We never were able. Now we're kind of, I'm some great things have happened over the last year. I mean, last year I spent 60 days camping in the factory, me, my wife, and one other employee running the entire factory. That was so much fun, but it was unsustainable. You know, right? it was during the pandemic. Seattle was closed. Many of the people left. And I was like, there's no way I'm not letting that stop. And I just, uh, you know, got over there and I met, it was so trippy. I I put in my mind, I'll do a hundred days, you know, like a hundred miler. I'll do it. And so I paced myself like that and I'd get up every morning and I'd start (laughs) doing the various things. I mean, it wasn't busy season yet. Right. So we were, but it was still stuff and camping in the camping in the, uh, in the factory was like totally trippy. I mean, that my wife and I, we really, that was like, you talk about a life raft, you know, and like what's, but attitude, it just became, we've got this beautiful ship and there's people still voting, wanting to get sandals. We're going to find a way. And that was very empowering, obviously. And then we got through the wave and we got back in the curl and I believe we're in the curl now. And one of the ways we're in the curl is in the process of all of that in 2019, we found out we were losing money in our whole wholesale world which was growing and growing. And uh, our Japanese distributor turned us on to a third generation Japanese family owned footwear manufacturer, famous for high quality. The grandson who's now the president came to Santa Barbara just before COVID. He had already been a fan of Barefoot Ted and Luna Sandals and all of this. And so he's helping us. His company has helped us scale as a licensed manufacturer because we were growing quite a bit in Asia, right? If you, a running shoe in Asia, right? I mean, in, if it's wet and sloppy and humid and muddy all the time, a shoe is just a giant contagion, basically. So we've been grow, you know, growing way beyond our capacity in those kind of regions, along with our own inability to keep up with scale and make money. So we now have this kind of dichotomy. We have a new 
factory in the US in Wenatchee, Washington, which is a converted apple storage building out in the apple growing region of Washington, which is really cool. And now we have a Japanese run factory in Vietnam making like certain standard models, but the quality and the um, price, price quality, like they're like we made it the panda. So now we're able to kind of like have a something we can reach people quickly with that's we, you know, we, we vet. And then we have this ability to make kind of old time favorites and made to order kind of thing. So it's this new kind of dichotomy. I had no idea that I would be, you know, wrestling that into existence over the course of the last two years, but that's what I've been doing. And boy, has it been fun. Whereas if you looked at it as an outsider, you know, oh, poor Ted, whatever. It's like, no, it turned out, yeah, it it, it was the fire I needed to like, just get this thing whipped into the next iteration of what mm-hmm. it could do. And its value didn't expire, but rather, you know, kind of like it was, it was close. It was close. Is this going to be a black hole or a sun, you know? Right. And thank goodness mm-hmm. it's kind of become a sun. And here we have a, you know, a new opportunity with Luna to you know, maybe grow a little bit faster so that we are, you know, when I say that, I mean, just meet the demand more accurately, more um, intelligently and uh, have something that we can, you know, look into the, at least another 10 years in the future. What are we going to do? How are we going to go? And so forth. So, New Zealand is obviously going to always be a natural place for these kind of things, whether it's from Luna or others, you know, it's, it's a barefoot friendly um, sandal, you know, wearing culture. And it's like, you know, um, Kiwis just naturally, I mean, if they have more than a sandal, it seems to me like, you know, they're erring on the side of like, maybe they're, they need to like get a little bit closer to their own roots. But that being said, I will never say no to any New Zealander if they want to become a lunatic like me. It's worked out well in my life so far. (laughs) Or we're going to a wedding or something like that. We're formal. I mean, yeah, think about vans. I mean, that's a California tradition, right? Totally. I saw it happen. Yeah, you did. I literally. Oh, my goodness. Ted, this is incredible. What a way to start that. Well, it's your midday. It's, it's, It's our morning. So this is... Talk oh yeah! Uh, talk about a microdose of energy. Have you guys had your coffee? Have you had Man, your coffee? I I drank my coffee this okay. Like, okay. as I was I was really really what a great way to start the day. Hey, look, we've kept you. This has been incredible. I'd like to wrap. I'd like to land the plane. We're asking you the question that we ask everyone who comes okay, on Church Radio. Fair and enough. And that's you know, barefoot Ted. What's been your greatest run ever? Whoa, I know. (laughs) And I have a great story for that one. That's easy. Let's go. So let's uh, put our little minds in a time capsule and go back to 2012. It's not that long ago. And we're going to land ourselves on the southern coast of a country called Turkey. And we're going to find our feet landing on a pathway called the Lycian Way or Likya Yolu in Turkish. And that Lycian Way is a path that essentially goes from Istanbul to Jerusalem, and it's old, old, old through-hike path for people wanting to traverse that area. Now, the southern Mediterranean is an incredible area, very beautiful. And the Lycians, the Lycian Way, whom they're named after, were a very unique group of people, not Greeks and not anybody else. They were their own like group and their own language and their own government and everything. And World Heritage sites all along this path, all along gorgeous blue seas, where I was invited and almost turned down a six-day ultramarathon run in 2012. 
And uh, I almost turned it down because the first thing I was in my mind was like, oh, my God, we're running through old villages on an old trail and all this. And there's going to be pomegranates and figs. And I mean, my mind and then little markets and yada, yada and foods and blah, blah, blah. And then they sent me the rules and it was like, you cannot eat. You have to carry all your own food in camps each night. We will give you water. You might, you will be disqualified if you eat any of the foods along the way or take any. So I wrote back immediately. I, I'm afraid I'll disqualify myself before I come. Thank you very much. Kink. Kink. Oh, there's another. Did we forget to tell you? There's another event going on at the same time as the sixth day that you carry your own food. In this one, we carry your gear for you. You run about half as much. And when you get into camp, we treat you to a wonderful smorgasbord of all kinds of local foods and so forth. I'm back in. <laughs> I get to Turkey. And now the day before the race starts, I, I'm with this Turkish reporter, you know, and she's at, she's kind of interviewing me. And I ask her uh, through the conversation, I says, you know, I'd like to meet me a strong, smart and beautiful woman. And the Turkish lady reporter says, well, if you say that 40 times now, you'll get it. It becomes a reality. That's how it works in Turkey. So I said it 40 times. Two days later, unknown to me, I was in the village of Demre, where St. Nicholas was born and did his ministry. Now, I didn't know that, but back home on my little shrine, Santa Claus has been a good dude for me, man. In the past, that guy delivered. So on my little shrine at home, I had two little Santas. One had like his hand out, where a candle was supposed to be. And instead I had a uh, acorn from the state capital of Texas I had picked up uh, while I was visiting there. I thought that's a good intentional skyrocket there. So here I am, unknown to me in Demre, I meet my wife who's living here now and the CEO of Luna Sandals. And we wow. fall in love and only find out later that I was in Santa Claus's village. <laughs> Boom, that's my best race story right there. That's magnificent, Ted. That's a wonderful oh. story. <laughs> I don't think we've ever had a Santa-based. Um... <laughs> no, we had a, uh, a matrimony from from a great Australia. No. So you, you, you've, no. you've well, won two it happens. Two it races happens. There. Matrimonies. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so so much, Ted. We really really appreciate your time, and uh, you know, it's so great to connect with you and your energy. Totally, you guys, man. Thank you so much for inviting me and making it possible so we can have this little uh, powwow here. I hope everybody in your audience enjoys it and gets something valuable from it. And if they don't, well, go listen to somewhere else. Stop bothering us <laughs> so much. That's right. Thanks, Ted. Look, uh, thanks, Ted. Thanks, you guys. Did we get it recorded when he shouted, Live jazz at the end? I'm not sure. He was amazing, wasn't he? <laughs> It was amazing. Um, you know, I, like you, I sort of floated along the rest of that day. Um, not just because I was faint-headed after trying to hold my breath. Well, not hold my breath, but breathe through my nose on my run. But uh, look, amazing, amazing conversation. Yeah. And, and it could have I gone mean, for a few more hours, couldn't it, really? Oh, definitely. And I said to you at the start, because we were talking, you know, we yeah. had a little pre-meeting and you're like, well, what, you know, what questions and orders? And I said, look, man, just... You, you pull the pin out and stand back, and and that's exactly, he'd answered the first five, literally answered the first five questions that we had. Yeah, we just went, kia ora, welcome to the show, and he just went. <laughs> it was, it was almost like he'd seen our questions, and he just rattled through the first five answers, and it was like, 
Okie dokie. Yeah. He Absolutely. Just, um, yeah. He, Absolutely. he loves to talk and he's a great talker. And um, yeah, like you said, it's kind of the conversation we needed yeah. uh, down here in lockdown. So thank you. And we you. hope, we hope this brings you joy. Yeah. You know, we hope this yeah. brings you joy around the world and especially to our fellow runners in Aotearoa, New Zealand. We hope this brings you joy because everyone is, is doing it tough with lockdown and uh, it, it, you know, it ain't no fun. But look, thank you very much for tuning in. Um, you can find us on all the podcast platforms like and subscribe if you fancy. You can leave us a review if you fancy and you can download direct from the website which is dirtchurchradio.com. Don't forget to write in with your greatest run ever. We love hearing from you and hearing those greatest runs ever and you can read them on the website too and we can see that plenty of people love doing that too. And we're on social media at Dirt Church Radio, and you can email us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. Thanks to our sponsors, Scott Running, Further Faster, and Cielli. Thank you to our Patreon patrons and Wild Things, and congratulations, Rob, and congratulations, Mel and Sally. Thanks to our editor, Kieran, and we've got a great show lined up for you next week. So please tune in then. Ka kite ano. Thanks, Rigby. <laughs>